Welcome back to the GOAT Zoom what? room, everybody. Okay. Time out. What? Time. We're not, you can't welcome us back if we haven't even got anywhere. This is a new episode. I know, but listeners are being welcomed back. Oh, okay. Yeah. All right. <laughs> what do I know? Scorsese over here. <laughs> Gosh. Welcome back to the Goat Zoom Room. We are back. It is after Breeders' Cup. No more Breeders' Cup discussion. So we are back with a special guest. We are joined by Ed DeRosa. Ed, we are super excited to have you here. Um, me and Andy have wanted to get you on the show for a long time. So super excited to have you join us. Um, you have been a star word of racing for a long time. And we see you have gotten a new job, which we are super excited about. But one thing I have always wanted to know is how did you... How did you get into racing? Uh, so I grew up in Cleveland and I'm a child of the, yeah, uh, post, post river catching on fire. So we were on the way up, uh, but child of the eighties and back then, uh, no simulcast, no ADW. If you wanted to bet on horse racing, you had to go to the track and, or you would see a bookie, which is what my grandfather did. Uh, back then there was enough interest in racing that people actually used a bookie to bet on Saratoga and Hialeah and all those tracks. Uh, so I would tag along with him, his, uh, legitimate business that sort of laundered the, the booking money was, uh, was an arcade. So I'd play some pinball, listen to Rush Limbaugh, and then we go to the track and, uh, just kind of how I grew up and, uh, Love being at the races, love the, the roar of the crowd. Uh, this, the Indians were so bad in the 80s that Thistledown actually outdrew the Indians, uh, you know, when they were losing 100 games and playing at Old Municipal Stadium. So there was a little bit of a crowd at the track back then. And I, I just I, I remember falling in love with, you know, the horses turning for home and the, the crescendo and people cheering their horse home and. Uh, every now and then he'd, he'd let me pick a horse and uh, obviously having a few bucks on it would would heighten the excitement for me and uh, just never look back it was always a place I wanted to be. So did you know? I always, oh, go ahead, Caitlin. I was I was gonna say I always kind of wondered what that story was because I, I knew obviously you were a fellow Ohio and that's something we bonded over. But yeah, being from a state like that, it's not like Kentucky or Louisiana or California or New York where it's just kind of like more of a lifestyle. So I was definitely curious about that, but go ahead, Andy. Oh, what what I was going to say is, when did you decide that you wanted to take the journalistic route to becoming, to being in horse racing that way? Yeah, and, you know, I, I feel like I really sort of missed the, uh, I was, I was a little ahead of my time on the, on the stat stuff, um, you know, through, through the years of, sort of been someone who loves sharing numbers and, and crunching them. Uh, but Sabre metrics and all that really hadn't hit yet. Uh, I, I think that probably would have been my career path had, you know, that sort of been in vogue uh, in the late 90s. So I, I just sort of missed that trend and was into journalism really through Bob Roberts, who was the Cleveland Plain Dealer turf writer. Um, it, you know, he he wrote creatively um, and it was like, man, this guy gets to go to the track. And that was just kind of the, the job I wanted. And, you know, at the time that was a job you could actually aspire to. But even by the time I graduated in 2001, uh, I think that was actually the year he got laid off. And, you know, plenty of other writers at newspapers were not covering racing anymore. So definitely bad timing to, to decide to be a journalist, but Fortunately, I uh, found a position at Thoroughbred Times, uh, and that sort of launched my, my racing. But as Caitlin noted, uh, you know, Ohio didn't know anyone in the biz, definitely did not come, come into it, you know, through like a lot of people do, family members and things like that. Just sort of loved it and made my way. Do you have anything, Caitlin, before I ask him another question? Nope, go ahead. <laughs> so um 
I love the thoroughbred times. I thought I really, really wish that that would have taken off. Um, I thought at the time it was like probably the best um, handicapping form you could possibly have as far as they had the buyers when they first came out. They had good handicappers. Um, why don't you think they made it like Risenet and Equibase and, you know, even to some extent, even like today's Horse Racing Digest? Yeah, uh, well, that's a good point about the buyers and, and back way back then uh, before Chris brought them to, I guess, racing times. Uh, Brisnet and Thoroughbred Times were, I don't know if they, Brisnet actually owned Thoroughbred Times or if it was just sort of like a data partnership, but, you know, they worked together and brought that type of those figures to the stakes recaps and things like that, which at the time had, had been un, unheard of. And then, you know, the Racing Times took some of that and Brisnet branched out and then Thoroughbred Times, by the time I got there in 2002, it was pretty much just an editorial publication. Uh, but you know, when, when things were going great in the mid two thousands, uh, there was, you know, plenty of advertising to go around and, you know, there were the, all these boutique farms that wanted to advertise and there was a, enough advertising dollars to support all these publications. The daily racing forum was one of the most highly circulated newspapers in the country. TDN had the newsletter, you had the two magazines, uh, everyone was living high on the hog. Uh, and then when the, the crash or recession or whatever you want to call it hit, uh, the contraction started, things were moving online. It was just, you know, overall bad for journalism. But what really sunk the thoroughbred times is it was it was independent, which if we really valued journalism would have been its strength because we were able to write stories and do some things that the blood horse just couldn't do being owned by the breeders. Uh, but when the dollars are coming from the breeders, they're going to spend it on their own magazine and not with, you know, what some would call a carpet bagger, uh, you know, someone else who wanted to make money off the industry with the magazine. So that to me was, you know, just couldn't be reconciled when there was fewer dollars to go around. And, you know, I, I understand it. I probably would do the same if I'm Spendthrift or Lane's End. I'm going to put the money in a magazine that I know is always going to give me good press. But unfortunately, the, the Thoroughbred Times was the casualty of that. I was always, you know, I liked reading a lot of the Thoroughbred Times stuff. Obviously, a lot of it was before my time, but looking back on some of it for sure. So transitioning out of a lot of that, I know you talked about the recession and not many years after that, you ended up at Churchill. How did all that come about? Uh, so I was kind of seeing the, the writing on the wall uh, or the, the, uh, the, the, the iceberg in the distance to use a, a Titanic reference. Uh, things were not going well at Thoroughbred Times and, you know, some people had already left and layoffs and, all those sorts of things that kind of let you know all that all that glitters isn't gold. So I, I was kind of looking around and Rich Nielsen, who was my predecessor at Brisnet, uh, put on social media uh, at the time, or well, still social media, but back then in 2011, um, that he was leaving Brist. And I immediately just, you know, like, oh man, that, like what a job. And mm -hmm. Jeremy Clements was vice president of Twin Spires at the time and had gotten to know him a little bit online. And I sent him a message and said, hey, you know, Rich is leaving. I'm looking, uh, you know, th this is my skill set. And uh, just, you know, worked out that we kind of had a relationship to build off of. And, and he was able to recommend me and uh, next 10 years uh, were at Churchill after that. You know, um, it's kind of uh, you know I I know we have a mutual we we have a mutual acquaintance in Bruno DiGiulio, and when he first started doing his newsletter, he was out in California and then moved out to Florida. Um, you know, Jude Feld moved out to Kentucky. Being from the Midwest, right? Did you mm -hmm. see anything that that maybe Californians? didn't see before most of us did like as far uh, as like, like in terms oh, of california falling off you mean 
yeah, like up until about 2010, I was still, I was still gung ho over California. And that's when I started noticing things were starting to kind of fall apart. Yeah, no, it, um, you know, I, I guess the, the whole synthetic thing didn't help. Um, you know, the, the mandate and the tracks not getting it right. And, you know, obviously not only not getting it right in the case of Hollywood park, but you know, the, the musical owners with, uh, Churchill buying it and then selling it to a land company and they kept it around for a little bit. Um, you know, de- death by a thousand paper cuts. I, I just think the them being marooned, it's sort of an island. I mean, there's racing all over the country. California was kind of the epicenter of the West Coast. Uh, but as things got more global, traveling became easier. Information became easier to get. Like, you didn't really need another epicenter outside of Kentucky for the breeding and sales and, and Florida to a lesser extent. And I just think that kind of made California the odd man out in that regard. Uh, but it, it's just a horribly run state. I mean, look at who's in charge at the regulatory level, Scott Cheney, who, you know, in my mind, completely dropped the ball uh, with the Breeders' Cup stuff. And you, you just can't have a, a billion dollar industry with that kind of ineptness in charge. And, and I've said it, you know, several times since that Breeders' Cup incident on Friday, but inside the pylons commentary about the roulette wager uh, was spot on when he said, you know, it's not about having a dopey wager. Like it's whatever. It's a bad idea. It's stupid. But what really is concerning is that you have all these yes men and women who, you know, not only approve this bet, but, you know, try to convince you that it's a good idea. And at least we're trying something. And if you have people in charge capable of, of, of that, then there's no telling what kind of decisions they're going to make when the chips are really on the table. And we saw it with the, the breakdowns at Santa Anita being handled poorly. We saw it again with the Breeders' Cup incident. Uh, that, that stuff just catches up to you. And bettors have so many more options now with casinos and sports having been expanded over the last five, 10 years that this type of stuff is, is a stopper. It's a complete turnoff and they don't come back. If it were you and you were in charge, would they ever be allowed to have the Breeders' Cup back after this? As <laughs> uh, someone who thinks New York should have it back at some point, I have a really hard time saying, well, California shouldn't have it. But, right. uh, you know, and, and they're, they're going to bury their head in the sand. And, I mean, we, you know, uh, gaslighting is kind of a strong term. But, you know, we kind of saw the spin machine go in. And, you know, kudos to them on, on the handle on Saturday. Like, that was a big, big number. And, and I don't begrudge them wanting to celebrate celebrate it. But to me, th- this was they, they bungled the, the Friday situation so poorly that any, you know, any victory lap needed automatic tapering with, you know, hey, th- this is something we really have to address. Obviously, we want handle to keep going up. But, you know, my, if I were Jim Gluckson or, you know, whoever else helped, helps them craft their message, it would have been something like, you know, great to see the, the handle increase. It's something we hope to continue. And we know that betters expect uh, transparency and, uh, you know, a better shake when it comes to the incident Friday. And that's going to be our focus over the next year. So everyone has complete trust in the integrity of the program in 2022 at Keeneland, like you can play, you can mention both without thinking you're, you know, selling yourself out. And I just kind of felt like the, the victory lap on Saturday after what happened Friday just didn't, didn't sit well. Yeah, I, I definitely agree with that. Um, I, that's something I always wondered and, you know, being only in the game about 10 years, obviously I've never seen a Breeders' Cup in New York and it's, it's Hmm. been, a super long time and people mostly want to blame it on the cold, but it's been done before. So. I, yeah, the, what, I, I mean, Monmouth, Monmouth was terrible. Um, and I don't mean that like Monmouth was a terrible host. Uh, it was awful. Like the there, weather there was is, horrible. yeah, there, there's just, you can't even pretend that that was an enjoyable experience. It was 
you know, the, the Derby, uh, Justifies Derby and Always Dreaming's Derby days were pretty bad. Uh, Monmouth was, if I didn't have to be there, I would have left. I mean, the weather was just that bad. Um, but I mean, look, stuff happens. I mean, I was at Santa Anita in 03 when uh, there were some fires going on and it was in the upper nineties, like that wasn't pleasant either. So was it more pleasant than Monmouth? Yes, admittedly so, but you know, there's always a risk of, of something and not to have it in New York 16 years going on 16 and it's going to be more by the time they ever announce it there again, just, it's it's a bad message for what I think was supposed to be the spirit of the event, which is move around to you know major metropolitan areas of the country. You think? You think I mean, I kind of enjoyed the fact that they were going to certain tracks that were a little smaller too. You know, mm-hmm. I think Lone Star did a really good job with their event, um, especially when they had it because they don't they normally don't run in November, right? Um, you know, I wouldn't, you know, you can't have it at Oakland because they don't have a turf course. I understand that. <laughs> I wouldn't mind seeing it at Sam Houston at some point in time. And it's not because I'm in, I live in Houston. It's because I think that turf course is just phenomenal. And I think it would lend for great racing. Um, yeah. No, and Sam Houston, I, I don't know if you remember where you were living back in mid 2000s, but Bob Bork was very bullish on wanting the Breeders' Cup and, you know, Houston, obviously a, a big enough city to, to have it. I, it's never going to be at Arlington again, but I mean, that is one of my favorites. And uh, that's just my way of saying I, I agree with you. I mean, Lone Star definitely had its challenges and, you know, that maybe that was a little, a little too many temporary seats needed. But, um, you know, I, I also think the event's gotten a little smaller for better or worse. Um you know, the, the demand for tickets as much as they try to make it out like there is, isn't there. Um, you know, I, I think in my mind, a back to basics, small venue every so often where the focus is, hey, let's get horse players from the community out. I mean, Houston, New Orleans, Cincinnati, which since, you know, Belterra is never going to have a Breeders' Cup. But I just mentioned that town, which I know you're familiar, but you're both familiar with. Uh, they like racing. I, I mean, Cincinnati is a city with four racetracks within, you know, if you live downtown, you're within four racetracks in an hour. And then Keeneland and Churchill and Indiana Grand, you know, another hour beyond that, if that. And if you're like, and you can add just, Downs. And right. Yeah. The, I mean, to me, Cincinnati is like an, an epicenter and, you know, Frank Angst, who is an editor at the blood horse, he grew up there and just knowing plenty of other people through the years who race there. Otherwise, like th- this is a town that likes racing and new Orleans is, is like that hot springs, of course, little rock, like there are these metropolitan pockets that where a significant, you know, tens of thousands of people go to the races every year. And I think Breeders' Cup traveling around a little bit more would would help uh, help the brand of racing in general. Completely agree with that. Um, so moving on just a little bit, I know I mentioned that you're coming up on a new position. Um, what can you tell me about what you're going to be doing at Horse Racing Nation? I've I've always liked Horse Racing Nation, and I know that people say, oh, there's too many pop-ups, blah, blah, blah. They're, <laughs> what they, which, you know, yeah, that's true. But what they do report is very good news. And I like reading a lot of things on your site, on their site. So I, I think that you're going to be a great addition to this mix. So what are you most excited to do there? Uh, so I, I'd say most excited to do would definitely be uh, some horse player initiatives, um, we have uh, new, so to speak, to HRN is is they have a, an agreement and a license with Equibase to use uh, the data. So, I mean, that's something I'm familiar with with my time at Bristnet, which has its own data. Uh, but, you know, being able to just share information, come up with different products, um, different ways of looking at the data to encourage people to bet, uh, that that's something that I thought 
coming to Churchill would, would be a big part of my job. And, you know, the, the position went in other directions and I learned a lot from it and that's great. But like when, when I told people I was leaving Churchill, especially some of my peers at the track, um, you know, my sort of idea was I'm leaving Churchill to, to go do the job I thought I was going to do when I came to Churchill. So uh, I'm excited about that. And I mean, the, the big thing is just the, the horse player is the most important figure to me in the game and the one I identify with most. So th- this to me is a, is a chance to make the game better for us. I saw that um, Horse Racing Nation recently built kind of a more picks focused site. So, and I mean, I haven't really seen it pushed a lot. I mean, just a little bit. So I wasn't super, super aware about it, but will you be kind of instrumental in doing a lot of that stuff? Yeah, uh, definitely. And, and we're still, you know, it's kind of a soft launch and it, it, it started before I got there, but you know, obviously with my experience marketing some stuff for Brisnet, definitely going to be hands-on and, and pushing the stuff we have in that store. Um, the a lot of people don't and you know we being in the game and you know caitlin you'll find this out the more and more you're at churchill like you know the people who interact every day they they take pride and they like to come up with their picks and you know Mm -hmm. they want you know they want information maybe from people like us but at the end of the day like they kind of oh who pays for picks like let me tell let me tell you a lot of people pay for picks and, you know, for them, it, it's whether it's just entertainment or they want the information share and it helps them make their final selections. There's a number of different reasons they do it. But I mean, but just if I had to guess based on what I know of, of Brisnet and to a lesser extent, you know, the DRF business, uh, you know, the, the tout industry and in racing, let's call it, uh, is, is multi-million dollars a year. I mean, people are spending that kind of cash on picks and, and similar. So, you know, HRN definitely hoping for a little piece of that. Um, in my mind, it's more about like diversifying the library. Like, you know, some people just want picks. And I think if you're going to have any sort of handicapping presence, uh, that's an offering you need to have. So, yes, you know, HRN will we'll be getting into that. But, you know, for me, like the, the coup de gras, the, um, what I'm hoping is sort of the moneymaker that, you know, people say, wow, Ed, you know, Ed did this at HRN is, it's just different ways of being able to, to look at the data and, and crunch it. And uh, just if you're an everyday player, just making that more accessible to you. I remember when I first start, when I first started going to the track, when I was 18 years old, 17, I would go to Santa Anita, and all the horse players were like, "Oh, the rail's dead! Don't bet anything that goes on the rail." Oh, this. I mean, they basically had the biases down to to a science. And nowadays, it's so much more about the information given that you don't need to have to look at every race to know that. Oh, well, there's an inside bias because. You know, HRN says it, you know, HRN <laughs> has this information or Equibase says this or Brisnet has this. Um, the more information, the better I, I take is my question for you. The question is, will it be better information? No, 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 no. But the question is, do you feel that with all of these, all of these, all of these different information, that all the betters want. Do you think that the more information, it's better for the better? Uh, uh, so that's one of those yes and no because I do think more information is better. The issue becomes: Does the better know what to do with all that information? I, I think, and I'm guilty of this myself, just because like I love comparing, and um, you know, if that's what you're into, you like looking at everything, but you don't you don't need all the information for all the races. Um, You know, so like, for instance, in my mind, sort of the simplest one is, okay, you know, the Brisnet, which is the PPs I use and and Timeform, I think has this as well. But, you know, there's some pedigree stats and things like that. Well, obviously, for a lifetime claimer who's raced nowhere but uh, Ohio, like nowhere but 
Cleveland and Youngstown. So they go to Thistledown and Mahoning. Like you don't need pedigree for a lifetime claimer that's only ever run on dirt. And you have plenty of PPs to know what they do at various distances. Like, so to me, you know, even though pedigree is in every past performance with Bristnet, that's sort of the extreme example of, well, I would never use pedigree handicapping for, you know, a five-year-old lifetime claimer that's been at Thistledown. Um, so, you know, fr from there, then you realize, okay, well, you know, that's a reason you wouldn't use pedigree, then there's plenty of others. And, you know, people like Emily Gullickson is, doesn't think pedigree ever matters for handicapping, and that's fine too. So what I, but what I mean is like all this information, you don't need to use all of it for all the races. So part of being a good handicapper, I think is knowing, you know, the, the signal to noise ratio and what is actually important race to race and what should factor into your fair odds, which is my approach to handicapping. Um, you know, we all need a top pick when we do selections and I'm sensitive to that. And, you know, you always kind of want to have winners on a day and, that's part of the fun of, of handicapping a card publicly. But, you know, from a wagering perspective, in my mind, the fair odds line is, you know, the, the true approach to handicapping a card where you say this horse has 10%. So nine to one is fair. This horse should win 50% of the time. So even money is fair odds, et cetera. And, you know, that, that to me is where the rubber meets the road and what variables do you weight in terms of coming up with that line? And I think that's where a lot of people struggle because they, they either want to use all the information or the information they do use, they weight it equally. And that's, you know, that's not necessarily the case either. So um, information is good. More of it is good. Free information is good. But at the end of the day, part of the, part of the puzzle is figuring out what's important. Hell. Were you going to say something? Nope. I was going to let you go ahead if you wanted to. Oh, I was just going to give Ed. I'm looking at HRN and I only got a UPS add up, so we're good. Um, All right. Well, we're, doing, we're working on it. it it's, it's getting better. But, you know, I'm looking at all these power picks. I don't see anybody for Sam Houston Race Park, nobody for Oakland. I mean, well, they're not running yet. these picks. They're not running yet. Oh, okay. Never mind that. Yeah, we well, we we not running either, but there's still some power picks. Oh, is there? It's just still there. Okay. Well, yeah, that should be cleaned up to whatever's running. Uh, yeah, no, we're definitely gonna have, and and that's something that you know I've talked with with uh, Mark Midland, who's the the president at HRN. But you know, is there? You know, what what about these smaller tracks like? you know, but between all the like group chats on social media and, you know, discord now is sort of coming into the racing space and other social media venues, like, you know, people are playing around the clock and they're looking for information on these tracks they're playing, you know, so how much does it make sense to offer things for like a Senaboya that other places wouldn't. And we feel the answer is yes. Uh, especially and this kind of gets into the, the data aspect of it. You know, if you're able to automate certain angles and things like that, and I mean, you know, like the, the percent ultimate PPs give you stats and, and get you in the, in the ball game too. But we're talking a little bit more beyond just, you know, 90 day layoffs and the, all those simple like stats like that, which are fine too. But um, yeah, we're, we're definitely, uh, Sam Houston in particular is, is going to be a big focus because we feel like with their 12% takeout, like that, that, to, that to me is tracks horse players should have on their radar and support. And uh, that's what we're going to do. I heard um, you uh, just mentioned it now. And obviously, I saw you mention it on social media. Um, what is Discord doing with horse racing lately? I'm gonna be an old person here and say, like, I don't know anything about Discord. I just boomer. <laughs> yeah. Um, so I'm I'm sort of in and out familiar with it, and uh, there there's a fairly robust horse racing community on there. the The interface looks very similar to Slack. So for those who okay. are familiar with Slack, like Discord operates similarly 
in my mind. Like you have, you know, channels and you can like the, the server is sort of the overarching thing. And then within that server, there are different channels. So maybe you set it up that each racetrack has a channel or you could do it by bet type or, you know, like the, the main course racing discord that I've seen, you know, they have a, a place for beginners and, you know, ticket talk and, you know, uh, just various topics that, uh, you know, sort of like a modern day bulletin board from the old days. Um, but with the, the added, you know, just sort of all the social media plugins. So, you know, you have the profiles and the avatars and you can share GIFs and all that. So, you know, that that's similar to kind of the, the Twitter environment, but Discord lets you keep it as private as you want, or you can, you know, have it public. And uh, ju it just seems like, you know, some, some segment of, of the horse player population kind of prefers to interact with each other that way. Yeah, I thought it was for video games. <laughs> well, it is for well, video games. Yeah, that's, that's definitely, games on it. yeah, tons of, tons of video game participation. Um, but, you know, it, it's, it's evolved where, you know, as more people are on it for other reasons, they want to talk racing or, you know, there's movie watch parties and servers dedicated to that. So, yeah, I was, I literally just hopped on it, um, the one for the Reddit site, and the first person I see posting is Cherry Drink, so uh, that goes there you go. how big that, that whole deal is. <laughs> um, I want to get into a couple other things real quick before we let you go. Let's get uh, into it. You know, news broke about Peter Miller taking an extended vacation, and it was his idea, and nobody else. Um, because you guys have more of the ear to the grindstone than I do currently. What do you guys make of it? Ed, you Caitlin, want do you want first? the first word? Uh, yeah, I guess I will. <laughs> Whatever. Um, I heard some small rumblings about it from people that were trusted and not so trusted sources. So I don't think anybody's really surprised. Of course, we always get on Twitter or what have you and see such and such fill in the blank is going down, blah, blah, blah. Um, but I do really think that I, I want to give California the benefit of the doubt that they've kind of, he's had all these small infractions this year, you know, after what we saw with them do with Jerry Hollendorfer with little evidence, I want to believe that in the age where everything that's happening with Baffert, they should look at Peter Miller and be like, Hey, you need to clean this shit up right now and actually scare him. So I don't know if that's what's happened or if there's like a real thing going on in the background. I, I really don't have enough information about it, but I wasn't surprised when it came out. Yeah, clearly something was coming. I mean, I kind of made the joke yesterday. I'm, I'm hearing everyone hearing stuff or whatever it was. And, you know, the rumors were pretty loose at that point, but I, it was definitely kind of like enough, enough smoke that there was, there was a fire. I got a couple DMS after that, that actually said, Oh, he's, he's just coming to Oak Oaklawn full time, which that ended up not being the case based on today's release. Uh, it, it's an Occam's razor situation for me. I, I think the simplest yes. explanation is the right one. Uh, the, the guy is uh, just a, a serial cheater uh, he's a known uh, abuser, uh, to, to staff and, and help. Um, and, and I mean, mental, not physical, um, you know, and he's had infractions for that. Uh, I, I just think they finally told him to take a hike. I don't know. I think it's pure speculation to say that, you know, they have some smoking gun or caught him cheating. Um, I just think, I mean, the guys just, a, a bad seed to quote Elaine uh, on Seinfeld. And, you know, they just finally said, look, you're out. Yes. I guess, I guess my whole issue is to some extent, right. Um, the rumblings with Hollendorfer were that he did a couple things that, that were not by the book at Santa Anita. This is coming from, from a clocker that we all know. And yet, the the court filings don't have any of that information on either part. So, I mean, what do you believe? Do you believe the court filings or do you believe the person that, that's discussing this? Um, you know, and if Miller's 
the one that's going, when does Baffert go? Hence I'd say, the next topic because of the Kentucky Derby. I, well, thought, I think Baffert's pretty safe in California uh, for, for better or worse. And I mean, even Peter Miller, and, and this was something I brought up with, you know, a couple text strings uh, talking about it. Like it was only a few months ago, Delmar was writing puff pieces about Peter Miller on its website and social media. Like this is not a guy that has run afoul of California racing. And that to me is why they um, go out the way he is, you know, if, if this were Hollendorfer who doesn't, not that Peter Miller is, is a tiny bear by any means, but you know, Jerry didn't endear himself to, to anyone. And, you know, they made him a scapegoat and didn't feel any any shame about that, even though I thought it was pretty crappy the way it went down. So as Caitlin noted, kind of a learning from that. And for whatever reason, Peter Miller is, is liked by, you know, some in influential positions in California racing and they, they let him go out like he did today. But I don't think it has anything to do with him deciding to do it on his own. I, I think if you believe that you're, you're pretty naive. Yeah, I definitely agree with that. There was kind of absolutely agree with what you said with the Occam's razor. We'll probably never know, you know, but I feel like if they had this smoking gun that people were like, oh, you know, he's going down all this stuff. Like, I feel like we would have heard about that. I think it's more right. just like they were like, you know what? There's been a lot of shady shit going on. Like, you got to go. And yep. I think it's, it's just kind of that's what I chalked it up to. And they gave him, you know, the dignity to kind of like do it his own way, whether we see him at Oakland or whatever i i really don't know but i agree with that i think for now baffert is safe in california but i think that is the only place he is safe well i mean he seems pretty welcomed at oakland over the years and i i, I don't, don't think know he's, i think they're kind of cracking down on him after the whole right um, well that's true he had, he had the positives that's a good point um Pimlico, maybe. You know, Ch- Ch- churchill Banned him and Naira is, is trying to, I guess, did that's in the courts or whatever. But, uh, I, I, you know, I hesitate to say, like, I support it, like, it matters, like, it's, it's done, like, Churchill did it. But I understand why they did. I, I guess my, my thinking is, and this is something, you know, I've talked about here a little bit too, like, he had a positive in last year's Oaks. I mean, after being positive at Oakland, tested positive again in the Oaks, which granted isn't the Derby, but it's close I'm, enough. I, I just kind of wonder, like, did they ever have a conversation with Bob beforehand and say, look, man, you know, know what's going on, like, whatever, poop happens or you're cheating or what? who cares? Like you, you got caught with that. We've moved on. You, you know, paid your fine, whatever. But if this happens in the Derby, you're out. And to me, like a preemptive warning to him um, may have saved some face longer term and had him think twice about giving stuff closer to race day or, or whatever. I don't know, but you know, I, I hate to say, you know, on social media, like I'm a, I'm a big champion of not really, I don't like the whole like, Oh, graded stakes horse shouldn't be in claiming races or haven't they done enough? Like every horse has done enough. It doesn't matter, you know, what they've won or lost. They all deserve some dignity. So I, I hate to say like the Derby is more important from that regard, but from a PR standpoint, the reality is it is. And I mean, the, the guy made a mockery of it, that that horse winning the way he did um, and then coming back positive. It, it's just it, it's a look that can't happen. And to me, he shouldn't be welcome back. And I'm glad he's not. Yeah, I definitely agree with all of that. And I certainly agree with what you said about the Oaks because, you know, it was just last year and it wasn't even a full year from the Oaks that that even happened. Um, and then for like, it's come out about the beta methadone and then him to be like, I don't use that really because Gamine tested positive for it six months ago at this track. 
So that was, I mean, I guess I would have rather him said something like, look, you know, I own up to this mistake. I gave something a little bit too close or something like that. That's at least a little bit more believable than to flat out be like, you know, butt cream or I didn't do this at all and just blame it on whoever. I I think that would have had a little bit more credence and probably gone a long way with people. Yeah, I would definitely say the the initial response and then having to backpedal to, oh, yeah, we use this. It, it, it just, it, pardon the pun, compounded his, his uh, negative image. Uh, one, one thing I do want to bring up, because it's something that began during Breeders' Cup right after you left Churchill, um, it's your spaces with uh, oh my gosh, Shooter. And the reason why I want to bring it up is because, A, I think it's incredibly funny um, how you guys do it. It's pretty not bad, to quote Cooter. Um, what made you guys decide to do it? Uh, well, you know, he actually has ticketed spaces, which we, we didn't use. We just went with mine for, for the clout, as uh, Coots would say. But... Um, so we had kind of, you know, batted around like, oh, we should, you know, hop on a space. And then he actually had noticed, you know, maybe Thursday night football. So, you know, Breeders' Cup Eve, like he had a couple in his feed that were doing all right. Um, so it was like, yeah, let's, you know, just have some fun. I mean, whatever, like just rap a little bit BS and, um, you know, had some fun with that. And then, of course, after what happened Friday we had a natural hook to talk about and uh, more importantly, allow people to talk about which people like. So, um, you know, and then we came back Saturday and, and that was fun and then sort of petered out with uh, the ABR thing. So, you know, I would say what we learned is like being able to, to do it in real time definitely seems to be like the horse player sweet spot, at least, at least on Twitter. So, you know, instead of like, Oh, we're going to talk about this and, Ooh, like faux controversial. Um, definitely, it, it seems like people really enjoy the, the the snap commentary when when the poop hits the fan. Yeah, I mean, I mean, I think it petered out because Caitlin was so upset about not being part of the ABR voting that she left your space like two seconds after she got in it. So, I'll tell you, know, you what happened. Um, I was sitting on the couch with Kyle and I saw you guys were doing that space and I listened to a couple other ones and I saw who all was in it and he's like, I want to listen to it. I was like, okay. I said, I guarantee as soon as we click on it, Coots is automatically going to say something to me. And he did. And I just clicked off it. So it just, it just proved my point. He definitely, uh, he definitely likes to notice who's on and, um, I thought that was my washer. Sorry, that fridge had been beeping a while. He could have said something. I wasn't sure if it was me or if it was Andy or if it was you. That's why I didn't say anything. Yeah, I thought it was the washer and like, okay, it's going to stop. And then I kept hearing, I was like, wait a minute. So sorry about that. But uh, yeah, I mean, that's part of the fun too. I mean, in this case, you you dipped, but um, (laughs) you know, I, I think, I think people, well, and I mean, you, you know us better than most, but you know, I think a lot of people just like, you know, they lurk some of the time or, you know, maybe one or the other knows some of the names we see pop up. But, you know, it's it's just nice to, I mean, as someone who, you know, appreciates it too, like, it's just a great platform to acknowledge people. And, you know, that sort of goes to my overall, like, kind of what I want to do at HRN is, you know, the horse player feels ignored a lot of the time. And, um, this is just a, another way, hopefully, to let them know they're heard, and you know we're going to try to to do better by them. I just think my I mean, view of being a disgruntled spacer is the way to go when it when I come on and talk to you guys. I hope you guys do it again. I mean, yeah. I know there's oh, a yeah. lot. I mean, I know there's not a lot going on in racing right now. This is kind of our quote unquote break for a couple months, right. but yeah, I mean, like. You know, the, the Peter Miller thing would have been a great time to hop on. Um, my my kids made their first confession tonight, though, so I was uh, disposed. But, you know, that that's the other thing. Like, you just kind of have to catch the, 
the lightning in the battle and both of us be, you know, available when, when something drops and we can, can pop on. I think the Miller one would have been a good one, but um, yeah, other stuff will happen. Another one. There's always uh, tomorrow. I'm I'm hearing a rumble. I'm hearing rumblings of a tete a tete with, uh, with a couple of uh, former Twitter people against you and, and Cooter. Oh yeah. Well, so, you know, that's a situation where like, I mean, Coots is someone I, you know, feel like, oh, we can work together and it's fun. Whereas the the other way, it, like, am I doing more for them? Like, right. I don't. You would do more for them. Right. So, and we all know I don't work for free. No, you don't. <laughs> you don't. One thing. One thing I will say about you, though, Ed, that I respect so much about you. I mean, not only are you funny and you're one of my favorite people in the industry, I respect so much about how much you share about your kids. And you can just tell how much of a proud dad you are. I just I love that about you. I appreciate that. And I am a a very proud dad. And uh, they they make I mean, they make me proud. So hopefully uh, they'll, they'll be proud of me when they're they're old enough to know what's going on. But yeah, no, I, I appreciate that. And it's, uh, you know, racing is, is 24 seven. Like it's something I really struggled with working at Churchill Downs. Um, like for 80%, I mean, that, that might be low, maybe even more, but you know, for 80 plus percent of the people I work with at Churchill, I mean, it, it's an office job to them. And, and that's fine. Like I work in insurance and when I did, I was not passionate about insurance. Um, <laughs> now I'd like to think horse racing is a little more exciting than, to, than insurance, no matter who you are, but I get it. Like, you know, we all need to pay the bills. And if your expertise is digital marketing, then Twin Spires is a, is a natural place that you would find employment and be good at your job, which the people I work with are all very good at their job. I'm not saying that, but it's a job to them. And to me, it's, it's more than that. And uh, you know, when you're dealing with racing and something that never stops, that's every day of the year, um, you know, that definitely is, is a tough balance sometimes with family. So, you know, I, I appreciate you saying that because uh, they, you know, do mean a lot to me, but it, it's hard on them too. I mean, they, they sacrifice around Derby time for sure. Um, one thing before we get to Caitlin's favorite part of, of this podcast, uh, I was lucky enough to actually get introduced by you by Bruno uh, back at the Santa Anita Breeders' Cup eons ago when I was working for him. But which, which one? The Songbird 1-1. One, one, oh, know? okay. 2016. Yeah. And I just remember how nice you were and you've been that way ever since. The only thing, <laughs> the only difference is now is that now you're more comfortable and, and being able to just poke the bear and right. <laughs> make comments. And I think it's hilarious because I, I, the sarcasm is great. I mean, Caitlin's always doing something to, to tell me something I'm doing wrong and continuously reminds me of things. The lies. What? I said the lies. What? You said if you weren't clairvoyant or else you would have changed the passwords on the Twitter accounts when we hired that intern. <laughs> that was one time. You haven't done anything other than that. <laughs> but I enjoy it. But um, Caitlin does this game at the end of our shows when we actually have guests on that we're just talking with and uh, she's going to probably give you some hard hitting questions. So good luck on it. All right. They're not hard, but oh. more just kind of like, obviously to feel where you're at in the industry. Um, so if you were to ever own a horse, I don't know if you have, or if you haven't, um, what track would you really want to win a race at? I never have. Um mm. I'd have to say Thistledown. I, I mean, I, I would hope I'm competing, you know, at, at the highest levels, which admittedly Thistledown isn't, but it's home. Um, you know, mm-hmm. it would just mean, a, it would mean a lot. Uh, I have a, I have a photo of my grandfather in the winter circle there from, uh, I think 1960 something. Um, so, you know, 
the opportunity to, to have one up there where, where he stood would mean a lot. And what about if you could put your horse with any trainer, who would that be? Uh, you know, I'm, I'm a fan of the, the, the hard boots, so to speak. Uh, so Tommy Drury definitely would, would be up at the, the top of my list, a fellow, fellow Oldham County resident, uh, Jeff Greenhill, who's a guy that trains a lot at, at Turfway and he'll run at Indiana Grand too. Um, he's someone, you know, I'd love to, to get a horse to. And, and I think the time will come when I, I look seriously at, at claiming, um, you know, I think that that's sort of the price level I'm comfortable with and where I, I think, you know, you can actually use some of the handicapping angles versus I definitely don't think I could ever ever pick out a horse at a sale with it. I mean, it'd be throwing darts. Um, but I think I could read a form in the sheets like Maggie Moss does and maybe find a, a good claim or two with the help of a, of a good trainer. So Jeff Greenhill would be a guy I'd go to for that. What about a jockey? Wow. Julian LaPeru for sure. Okay. Interesting. Most choice. underrated rider. I, I think, you know, I, I'm, I'm in the camp that, at the level these guys are at, there's there's not much difference. Uh, if you're on if you're on the best horse, there's not much difference. Um, and I just think Julian is. I mean, I, I get the criticisms he gets, but I, I just feel like he's a guy that's going to give you a, a good ride. And you know, if he's on the right horse, you're fine. But all these Kentucky guys that I've I've gotten to know just in and you know, you'll hopefully experience this too, Caitlin, but, uh, you know, I mean, like, I mean, Tyler, Brian, Hernandez, uh, Mitchell, uh, they're, they're all doing their prep work. I mean, you, you can tell they're, they're ready. They have a plan. Um, you know, Churchill's a track where if you like, like a horse, it's very rare that the jockey is going to be a stopper for you. So, um, I just go with the one I think is kind of underappreciated and would love, love to get him on a good horse. So Julian. Awesome. Well, those are the three. And like I said, they're they're not hard, but it it just kind of is thought provoking because a lot of people in the, in the industry, you know, that are in journalism, kind of the way, the way we are, you know, don't always end up owning horses. So it's not really something that they think about a lot. Right. Yeah. And I've, uh, you know, like what, what Joe does with Brilliant and, and there's, you know, some other partnerships that are kind of similar. I, I definitely have just always kind of thought like, man, for X thousand dollars, like you're, you're a cog in the wheel. Um, you know, I'd, I'd rather be more involved and just kind of do it my own and have my own silks. And, and with that comes spending more money, like all that racing isn't cheap could, to begin with. I mean, you could borrow Brian Leckie's. Silks that's them. true never never worn no never well, won with them he's worn never won yeah they have been worn that's true you know uh yeah no that's a save save me a few hundred bucks yeah they're pretty flashy silks too yeah they're they're not bad or you can you you can use my 30 year old pair of silks that i have somewhere around the house here well surely they don't still fit no no they're not for no they're for jockeys Oh, okay. They're not for me. God knows, I, I couldn't fit in them then. I did 10 back then, and I was 210. <laughs> so, um, you know, uh, quick little housekeeping situations while Ed's here. Uh, have you heard of Swifty Farms, y'all? <laughs> yep. In Indiana? In Indiana. Are you going to tell us about their new stallion? I am going to tell you about their new awesome. stallion. Their new stallion is a thoroughbred obviously yes and it is american pastime uh one of only three tapazars at stud currently fifteen hundred dollar full um and he ran in the breeders cup ran i think until he was four if i'm not mistaken <coughs> excuse me but um i really really like this stallion he's really nicely comper you know he's he's got really good size and got a good motor. And I think that's going to be great. And the owner that actually sent him over there, actually tried to get him actually has a couple fulls of American pastime in California already. 
but this is the first time they're going big time with with Indiana. Well, Swifty is on the up and up, or on the up, on the upward trajectory. That's what I was looking for, because that wasn't even the stallion I was thinking of. Who are you thinking of? Sleepy Eyes Todd. Yeah, they just got him, too. Yeah. 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 I think that was just announced yesterday. Yeah, Yeah, Swifty is stepping out. I was actually given the green light to announce this yesterday, but I was told to do it because we didn't have the podcast yesterday. I was able to do it today. So um, that's pretty impressive. I think Indiana Indiana is very well positioned for – I mean, with with Arlington closing, I I think Indiana's – I mean, it's already kind of the second biggest in the Midwest anyway, but I I think they're – they're going to be where Arlington was in the nineties. I literally tried to get the, I literally was talking to CJ Johnson and asking him if he had a stallion, if he had a stallion farm in mind that would want to tap as our colt as a stallion. And he said that all the stallion farms here wouldn't take him. So I'm glad Indiana got him. I think, I think this was going to be big for Indiana and with Indiana bread, with Indiana bread, the way they do it nowadays, I think it's incredible. Well, you know what they say: there's more than corn in Indiana. There's a lot. There isn't in Ohio. <laughs> there's the hell is real billboard. I love that I, billboard. I pass that every day, almost. <laughs> you know, you know what the uh, Derby's called for Columbus and Cincinnati, right? No soccer team. What? The soccer teams, Columbus and Cincinnati, their derby when they face each other is called the Hell is Real Derby because of it, uh, because of them passing the bill, passing the billboard every time they go up there. Oh my gosh, I didn't even is, know that. That's so funny. Is, yeah. Is that, and is that a, what a friendly soccer match is called, a derby? Uh, when, when two teams from the same area that don't like each other play, Yes, so like when I FC, didn't know that when FC Cincinnati was playing Lou City in in that rivalry when they were in the USL, they used to call it the Dirty River rivalry or <laughs> the Dirty River Derby because of the river being dirty, apparently. So um, not I something I would be, swim in, huh? It's not one I would swim in. Neither would I. No, no, I wouldn't even kayak it. We we like to thank you for coming on. We appreciate it. Um, I was going to make a reference to the mistake by the lake, but I know that Caitlin would have no clue what that meant, so I didn't say it. I, I did reference uh, Municipal Stadium earlier. Exactly, but I know she doesn't know what it is. No, but Caitlin, do you know who Guy Lombardo the- is? Who? Guy Lombardo. No. No. Okay. <laughs> She's so young. I know. Well, in France, they call him Guy. Yeah. But we really appreciate you coming on. I hope you enjoy going to the Bengals game. um, Yes. That'll be fun for you. Bring in Frank Angst. For you and your kids, or for you and your kid. Um, I couldn't have thought of anybody (laughs) nicer to give this to, by the way. Well, nobody else? Huh? You you couldn't think of anybody else, or no, no. I mean, I'm glad I gave them to you. Oh I, yeah, I'm you're the very one person excited. that I'm glad I sent them to. You know, Brian yeah. Howard's another one, but of all the people, I'm glad they went to you. I uh, I actually like uh, as much as I I say in general I prefer college football, but with U of L and UK being the two teams in Kentucky. Uh, the, the Bengals game is a lot more fun than either of those two, so I'm I'm pretty pumped about it. Yeah, well, I might have I might have some for the day after Christmas too. So, uh, San be- Anita opening day. Oh, that's right. Oh, Come on, don't matter to Perfectly me. Perfect. But- probably running. So. Oh yeah, they love the the holiday cheer steaks. Uh, somebody might be busy that day too, right? Somebody? Perhaps I could be. 
So with that said, that was Caitlin Free, who's trying to find her earbuds because Kyle stole them. So there might be um, a theft charge in Kyle's uh, future. Um, <laughs> and that's uh, Ed DeRosa with HRN. And I'm glad you're there. I really am. I think I'm that's too. good for you. Thank you. And I'm just not saying that because you're a guest. I actually truly mean it. Um, so it, it's awesome you're there. And I'm glad you were able to take some time to be on our on our little podcast that, as one person who likes to troll me say, nobody listens to. Now, well, now you have at least six people. <laughs> that I'm, I'm, I'm good for four. And then you two are good for another one each, right? Uh. Yeah, my, my better half does not listen to my podcast. Oh. Hmm. If I let Kyle listen to this one, he'd be like, who didn't fucking steal your earphones? Even though we know he did. And you realize that I now, because you have cussed six times on this podcast, I have to put the disclaimer of explicit language. Sorry. Hit the dump. You don't have a dump button? No, I'm not going to do the dump button. It takes too long to do it. I'm just going to. Yeah, it's a while. You know, it's it's Caitlin. Maybe I can get away with it and not put it in there. Yeah, I won't rat. I won't rat on you. Thanks. <laughs> All righty. Well, thank you very much. Have a All great right, my night. My pleasure. Yep. Take care.